You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. I'm happy to welcome to the podcast today, Doug Reed, author of God is a Gift, Learning to Live in Grace. Doug has been the minister at Thorn Crown Chapel in Eureka Springs for 36 years now since 1984. I guess I should say Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Thorn Crown Chapel was designed by the architect, the well-known architect, Faye Jones. It's had over 7 million visitors, and it won the Design of the Year Award in 1981 from the American Institute of Architects. Also, the American Institute of Architects uh, recognized it as number four in the top 10 designs of the 20th century. And also, Thorn Crown Chapel won the 25-Year Award by the American Institute of Architects for a building that is still relevant uh, 25 years after it was constructed. And I think I can add to that, that as beautiful as Thorn Crown Chapel is architecturally, Doug's theology that goes along with it is equally beautiful. And that's why I'm glad to welcome him to the podcast. So welcome, Doug Reed, to the Grace Saves All podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Great to be here, David. Well, one of the things... Um, that I wanted to do is to just visit with you a little bit first about your story. And um, because it's an interesting one and uh, it's not a path that you, that you might expect. So just tell us a little bit about how you got started out in life and some of the things that affected your spiritual journey. Well, um, I was born into a, I guess you could call a a dysfunctional uh, family. Uh, My dad was an alcoholic uh, for much of my early, uh, life. And, uh, he wasn't really uh, abusive. I don't really remember any, uh, abuse, but he, he just, he w- just wasn't there. And, uh, when he wasn't there, uh, I mean, when he was there, uh, he was, uh, critical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, every, every kid, every kid thinks their, their parents are over over critical, but, uh, he, he probably really was. And, um, it, you know, parents, I think, are supposed to give their kids the gift of worth. And uh, if they don't get it, um, it leaves a hole in, mm-hmm. in our hearts. Um, I have a daughter who's a, a, a therapist, a counselor, and she said, Daddy, you can spend your whole life looking for what you didn't get in your childhood. And um, I think that really uh, described me for a number of years in, 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 in my life. Um, I had a real need for, uh, for presence, you know, presence equals love to, uh, to kids, but I also had a, just a lack of worth, uh, a lack of self-worth. And, um, a lot of that came, uh, with, uh, fear, uh, they didn't, um, you know, diagnose things, uh, back in those days, they just called me shy, but I'm okay. sure today, I'm sure today it would be social anxiety disorder. Okay. <laughs> I mean, probably fairly severe because I was very withdrawn, very afraid. Uh, Like in school, raising my hand was like walking a a tightrope over, 
you know, pool of sharks, you know, <laughs> just, I'd probably choose the sharks, you know, <laughs> rather okay. than the, yeah, it was just, uh, just constant uh, fear withdrawal, but at the same time, a real need for uh, affirmation, uh, a real need for uh, presence. I was, I guess I was just a, a lonely, a lonely kid. And that's, that's kind of a catch 22, you know, when you're afraid, but yet you, you have those great uh, needs. Mm-hmm. And so I think I responded to it by, uh, they say when you're in that type of situation, either you become a bad kid or you become a really, really, really good kid. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I went the, the second way that, that, um, I, I just tried to be perfect, uh, in, in everything I did. I thought, I thought I could avoid your know, criticism, uh, was just almost unbearable, uh, to me at that when I was, uh, when I, when I was young because of that fear of rejection and, 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 and so forth. And so I thought if I could be perfect, that maybe I could find that, uh, that missing, uh, part. So, mm-hmm. I, I was uh, basically a perfect kid. I, I didn't never did anything wrong. Um, I had perfect grades, you know, all throughout school. I was the kid that everybody else hated, you know. <laughs> so, you know that 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 type of kid. Yeah, uh, I was. I was. I was that one. But you were really just striving for this perfectionism and to, to gain the recognition that you could never really gain. That that came in later. Uh, uh, my mother held the family together and I, 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 she's, she's gone now, but, um, I just appreciate her more and more cause she, she just, it was just supernatural the way she, she kept things together. She made us go to church every, you know, every Sunday. Uh, I remember hating it as, as, as a kid going, growing up. Um, but when I was about 12, I found this, uh, four spiritual laws track. Do you remember that, those things? Yeah, the my, yeah the four spiritual laws. Yeah. Yes, I found one of those, and I was about twelve years old, and uh, I sat down and I read it, and I thought, you know, this sounds pretty good. I'll I'll give it a, I'll give it a try. So, I remember uh, I was by myself as I was a lot, and uh, I prayed the prayer and just experienced this amazing uh, presence and 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 fullness and 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 the the the, the fear was 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 gone you know there's i guess the presence of god is the ultimate the ultimate uh presence mm-hmm. and and so i think i from that day on i became a god uh, chaser okay you know, i wanted i wanted that presence uh i was kind of different because uh you know a lot of people want things from god but i wanted god because you know that presence was the place where i i was without fear and and uh you know, wasn't uh, alone. Uh, it was the ultimate presence, which I was missing from. from, where, from where your earthly father was the ultimate absence. Your heavenly father was the ultimate presence. Exactly. Exactly. But um, I applied my perfectionism to that relationship. You know, I, 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 as we often do, our relationship with our father affects our relationship with God. And so I had to be the perfect Christian. Mm-hmm. In order to in order to be worthy of that that ultimate uh, presence, and uh, as I get older, I I can kind of relate to Paul. I'm no Paul by any means, but um, you know he excelled. Right. You know he was he was a Hebrew among Hebrews. He was the perfect lawkeeper, and 
and all that. And, and I did, I, I just excelled in being a Christian mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it was, I got approval there. You know, everybody said, Hey, look, you know, isn't this wonderful? You're kind of like, right. maybe the, like, probably like the Pharisees got, you know, aren't these guys wonderful? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're doing all these, uh, things. You can get a lot of approval there if you're, if you're the perfect, uh, perfect Christian. Um, but you know, I, I just got, I think glimpses of God's glory, and uh, so every time I got a glimpse, I was on to the next thing. Uh, you know, I did Bible study, uh, Bible scholarship, um, went to church every time it, it opened. I did the charismatic uh, thing. I got the Holy Ghost, uh, spoke in tongues, laid hands on the sick, cast out demons. Um, you know, the the, the whole bit, uh, spiritual warfare. The whole thing became a prayer. There wasn't, there wasn't anything you weren't willing to to do. That, yeah, from. that's it. And it, it just kept you know one thing to to another in search of that 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 presence. I got involved with the uh, the Jesus Jesus movement out in Costa Mesa, California, when it was the Christian rock and uh, Larry mm-hmm. Norman and Barry McGuire and Second Chapter of Acts and and the most intense of all was uh, of course Keith Green, and uh, I was in on on all that and and just. Uh, Seeking the Lord uh, there, uh, yeah. It, I was in other things. Uh, repentance. I remember we had a um, a preacher come to our our church, and and he was preaching about repentance, and he gave us this booklet, and you were supposed to confess every single sin that you ever did, and if you did that, then God would be real happy and show up. I guess I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> so, so I did that. I took about three days. I remember doing that, you know, I was just that, that hungry for God. And I, I, I went through that whole thing, spent about three days. I got to the last sin and I'm expecting something wonderful to happen, but, but nothing, you know, so, so on to the, the next thing. And so, okay. and then I got in college and, and, you know, continued that, uh, you know, I uh, was into making perfect grades, of course, but, um, got into college and, and, you know, that zeal continued there. I, uh, we would have uh, like 3 a.m. prayer meetings and and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, okay, did, where uh, was this? Where was what college this, was this? This was at Baylor University. Okay, in, in, in Waco, Texas, and um, I got into doing jail ministry there. Uh, you know, going to the jail and preaching the jail every week and 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 doing all sorts of things. I think just in search of that. Like I said, I think I would get glimpses. You know, it's kind of like manna in the wilderness. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, and um, and it, you know, I would keep uh, going. I thought, you know, just a little bit, a little bit, bit more, and I'll, I'll get there to that uh, that perfect uh, presence, you know. So, so then I got out of college, and uh, about that time, my dad had had a, a, an amazing epiphany himself, and he decided to build a glass chapel in the woods. Now that's that's another story. Maybe we can get to. Uh, sometimes because that's another long story. Okay. But, but he he built this uh, chapel in the woods and um, asked me to to come and be the minister there, even though I was so so very young. And and uh, you know I prayed about it and I felt like it, that was where I was supposed to go. But you know I thought, well, hey, now I'm full time. You know, I can yeah. really do it right. I can really do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't have time to be perfect enough. So yeah. now I have time. And you time can even to, take it even take it to another level. I took it to another level completely. Uh, completely. I, I'm 
uh, pattern in my life after the, the old time evangelists where uh, they talked about praying heaven down. Mm-hmm. You heard that expression? And, I don't think uh, so. Praying heaven down. That was, that was a big one with me that you could, if you prayed enough, heaven would come down, you know, the, the ultimate, okay. ultimate presence. So I tried to do that and I would spend hours uh, praying and uh, got even more points for including fasting and, you know, uh, you know, all that. And sometimes I'd spend whole days uh, in prayer. Uh, I'd study, uh, you know, I'd, I'd read books that uh, were probably better measured by the pound than the page. You know, I just didn't read Tom Wright's books. I read N.T. Wright's books, you know, yeah. <laughs> the heavy duty ones that, yeah. that, that he, he writes and, and things like that, just in, 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 in search of, of, of it all. And um, at, when I first got the Thorn Crown, it was it, it was like at a, the peak of what Thorn Crown uh, you know, ever was as far as people coming. Um, uh, I thought God was really pleased with what I, I was what I was doing. I mean, we just had unbelievable amounts of people coming to the uh, the chapel. Um, you know, as as a minister, you probably know that sometimes when you tell people you're a minister, they ask you how big's your congregation, mm-hmm. and they're really asking you what your worth as a human being. That's, that's really <laughs> what they're that's what they're asking you. And I love that question because I could tell pe- people, you know, look at all this this stuff. It's, I mean, we were sometimes lots, you had lots of numbers. Oh yeah, we had like sometimes we'd have fifty buses a day uh, coming to the chapel. We'd do services all day long. They'd be lined up all the way from the chapel door, or sometimes all the way to the parking lot, just just waiting to to get in. Um, we had three services on Sunday. Every one of them was uh, full. We, we had our worship center by then, so we would have 100 at the 7.30 a.m., and then we'd have 300 at Yeah, and at that nine worship center is a separate, is another, is another yeah, building a, besides yeah, we, Thorn Crown Chapel. Correct. Which is bigger, which seats more than Thorn Crown Chapel. Yeah, it seats about 300. And we would fill that up at nine, and then we'd fill that up again at, uh, at 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 noon. And so it just seemed like everything was coming together, and you know maybe God was uh, pleased, and you know and I was finding my worth and in, in the numbers maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so anyway, one one day, yeah, you know, I had this this place where I would go to pray, you know, secret place under the the, the worship center, and sometimes I'd spend all day there. And I, I, it was Saturday when I was praying for the Sunday services, and and just suddenly, uh, there was that presence, that that ultimate presence that uh, uh, I talked about. And you knew what that was from your previous experience with it. Yeah, yeah. But when you must uh, have been excited because you had prayed it down. Yeah, I, you know, you prayed it down. You did it. So, um, but then the Lord kind of spoke. There wasn't any audible voice. But it just kind of a uh, you know how the Lord just kind of speaks to your your heart and uh, he he said one thing he said I'm going to deal with your self righteousness and then it was gone and um, you know I thought I thought what what <laughs> you don't want to talk about Sunday <laughs> you know? me self righteous look at all this prayer I'm look at all this prayer I'm doing how could I be self-righteous well what's interesting to me well I remember when you first told me that story what's interesting to me is that you're this person it's hard to imagine a more sincere uh, person or a person who's seeking more for God's presence and then finally after years uh, it happens and you know I would imagine that what 
you know, you are my son with who I am well pleased, Doug. I'm so proud of you. You know, keep up the good work. You know, kind of a pat that pat on the back mm-hmm. that yeah. you would be looking for, that affirmation. Right. And and after all that time, it's this completely different message that confounds you. That yeah, you it it's not you. a message yeah. that you would have come up with on your own. No, it was it was out totally out of the blue. I was uh, I didn't comprehend it at, at all. And uh, it was uh, amazing what happened next. What happened next were, were probably the two hardest years of my my life. Uh, it was like everything that I measured myself by uh, fell apart. I mean, even the first thing to go was was my health. You know, you're young, you expect to be uh, healthy, but um, I. Woke up one night and I thought I had like a, a, a stomach bug or something like that. And, you know, I, don't, you know, I can get through this. And you feel like you're going to die, but you know you're not. So, but it didn't, it didn't go away. I mean, I had the next day I was still sick and the next day after that and the next day after that. And, you know, I started to go to, to doctors and they couldn't figure out what was, was uh, wrong with me. And, and I started to lose uh, weight. Um, I couldn't sleep at night. It, it was it was a very strange thing because I seemed to get relief when I could pace pace the floor walking. For some reason, mm-hmm. it would relieve it, and so I started spending almost every night, all night, uh, pacing the the floor. And, and um, of course, after doing that for days on end, you 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 just get you just get worn worn mm-hmm. out. And, um, I kept going back to doctors. They said, they, they could give me this and they would give me, give me that. And they, they couldn't tell me what it was. And finally, after weeks of that, I'd lost 30 something pounds. Um, uh, I would go down to the chapel and, uh, you know, half the Sundays I couldn't preach and, uh, people would look at me and say, you look awful. You know, and I think, well, you shouldn't be saying that, you know, <laughs> that's the last thing you say. <laughs> But uh, I was in really bad shape, and 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 finally got. Um, I went into the uh, to see my doctor again, and 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 he said, you know, you're having a mental breakdown. That's your problem. It's a mental breakdown. And uh, I I did break down at that moment in, in his his office, and uh, I'm not a crying person, but I just broke down. And and he and he said, okay, to show you that, I'm going to send you to a gastroenterologist, and and he'll tell you that there's nothing wrong. And I said, okay. So that afternoon I get a call from a gastroenterologist and, and, and he says, Oh, I got an opening this afternoon. You want to come in? And, and I said, you betcha. <laughs> yeah. And he, he talked with me and after a while he said, Oh, there's something wrong with you. And, and, and then he said some wonderful words. He said, we're, and we're going to find what it is. We're going to find out what is, is wrong. And uh, it, it was amazing. He was a young guy about my age, and, and he knew what it was because he had had the same thing. Hmm. Uh, it, it was a, it's a very rare gallbladder disorder where your, your gallbladder uh, spasms, and it makes you feel nauseous all, all the time. And, and he'd had the very same thing, so he, 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 he recognized it and uh, did some tests. And then they took out my gallbladder, thinking that was – and that did stop a lot of the, the, the nausea, but then it went into to colitis, which he said sometimes it does. Or a lot of times when you have that ailment, you get colitis with it. They don't know why. And I was sick for almost two more years uh, after that. Um, my, you know, my digestive, you know, I'd wake up my days wondering what 
my digestive system was going to do to me that day. You know, it was that mm-hmm. kind of that kind of existence, and that lasted. But it wasn't just that; it wasn't just my health. During that very same time, uh, it was like the the ministry um, that I found so much of my worth in was also uh, disappearing. Um, the, uh, there was political changes in Eureka Springs, and 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 it 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 killed the the bus uh, industry in Eureka Springs, the tour bus uh, industry in Eureka Springs. I mean, it just almost overnight, you know, we were getting 50 buses a day, and it it just fell like a a rock, and our, our attendance in our Sunday services went down. Um, we had to to lay people off. Um, and I remember reaching a low point one Sunday where I went down to preach and one person had come to church, mm-hmm. one, one person, you know, I'd gone from. So you are now officially in the Valley. I was in the Valley. I was in the lowest Valley <laughs> and, uh, I, I was worn out. I was worn out physically. And I, you know, during that time I was doing all the things you're supposed to do, right. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, praying and, and, you know, and you, you call in reinforcements and you get other people to pray for you and, and, and all that and cast out the devil and do whatever, you know, <laughs> all the things you're supposed to do to hold on to, uh, to God. But uh, I finally reached the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, so I, I remember going down to my, my office and, and, and getting down on my knees and having one of the strangest prayers I, I ever had I, I told God I said I just can't believe in you anymore. I just can't can't do it. And you know you would think that if a preacher said words like that that you might get a lightning bolt or something. Right. Yeah, I'll show you I'm real. <laughs> but you know what happened? Uh, presence. It was that same awesome, awesome presence that. It's, it's the opposite of what I expected. I expected God to leave, you know, okay, mm-hmm. when you're done with me. I'm done with you. But he just kind of uh, showed up and um, spoke to my heart again. And, and he basically uh, comforted me and said that, you know, faith is not holding on to me. It's seeing that I hold on to you and I don't let go. Even when you let go of, of me. And that was, um, the beginning of a, a major paradigm shift uh, for me. I, I mean, I, I I knew about grace. I'd preached about grace, but grace walked into the room, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a much different ex- experience. And it just began to to change my whole concept of what it meant to uh, to walk uh, with God and, and who God was and what grace uh, grace was. Um, I began to see things about myself. Uh, you know, I saw that all those years uh, I wasn't running after God, but I was running from God. Uh, only I was doing it kind of like the Pharisees did with their 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 self uh, righteousness and making self uh, the measure of God in, in 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 their life. You know, I saw that I was actually fighting God when I thought I was very much on him on his side mm-hmm. you know you know i think that we can fight god either with our evil or we can fight god with our good <laughs> and uh, i was i was i was definitely doing doing that and uh my whole the concept of of god in his presence uh, began to to change uh, n- god's presence i believe now is not something that we achieve it's something that we perceive uh it is something that is simply so 
it, it is it is simply there and all we need to do is 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 perceive it and one of the ways we do that is by looking away from the self even the the good self and and seeing and seeing christ and um so I began to to understand Paul's uh, words a little bit better when he said he'd suffer the loss of all things that he might gain Christ, and I, and I think he was talking about his his own righteousness when he he said those words. And I, for the first time, I under under understood that and understood relationship uh, with God. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, you know the, the things that you talk about, uh, David. I, I I think it's it's more than just uh, where you go when you die. I think it's 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 far more than that. It's it's, I think what you're doing and a lot that what what you're t- teach is is giving God back to people, because <laughs> that's what well, that's what well, Grace does. The, let's can we can we talk about your book a little okay. bit now? Okay, so uh, we were on uh, the the board together of a of a of a uh, Christview Ministries in uh, Eureka Springs. Uh, John and Judy Turner's ministry there for a few years together. We were on that board, and that's where I first met you. And you gave everybody on the board uh, a book, uh, God is a Gift, Learning to Live in Grace. And I remember getting that book from you and thinking, oh, well, well, thank you. Thank you for the book. And uh, But I... I had come to believe at that point that grace was universal and redemptive and that God would restore every single person by grace. And so that every time somebody gave me a book that said God is a gift, I thought, yeah, God is a gift as long as you do something to get it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I really liked you, and I didn't want to read the book in a way because I, I was afraid I'd be disappointed. But one time I, I got to the point, I was literally in my office at church, and I— was looking for a book to read and I saw your book there and I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give this a read. I'll read through it really quick. And what I will do is I will read through it and I will look through the except for the exceptions. I'll look for all the things that you put in there that you, you can get the grace. God is a gift as long as you do the following things. So I, I read through it and I kept finding these phrases. Um, and I made a note, I've got the original sheet of paper here that I had and I made notes of these phrases that were in the book. No outcasts, accepted already, relentlessly loved, grace before growth, no fear of rejection, gift of worth and value, fully loves us no matter what, reigning love, infinitely beloved and blessed, unbridled love, certain kindness, certain ultimate destination, love so great who could stand against it, love which considers our ultimate loss unbearable, unwavering love, infinitely welcome, always loved. And these phrases, these were just phrases that were sort of scattered throughout the whole, the whole book. But when I finished the book, I realized that you were putting forth a, a picture of grace in which God was ultimately completely with us. And there was no way that we would ever fall out of this, of this completely redemptive grace. And, uh, and I picked up the phone and I called you immediately, and I said, Doug, I just read your book, and I think you might be a Christian universalist. <laughs> I, I think you might believe that God is going to ultimately redeem everyone by grace. And then there was some silence, and you remember what you, do you remember what you said? 
I was dumbfounded. I, I was thinking, this man is a prophet. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think you said to me, you said to me, I've given you know a thousand, I've sold thousands of these books, or thousands of these books, or so, and you're the first one in all that time that's that's um, that has ever put this together. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was dumbfounded. I, I thought I was just so impressed that you <laughs> that you saw that. That was uh, it, it. It amazed me. Well, what I like what I like about your book is it uh, it really takes a person on a journey. It's a very biblical journey, and you don't tell you don't hit a person over the head with it. But by the time they finish with it, they just feel enveloped in grace in in, it's not really an argument for Christian universalism. It's an argument for God's grace, which has no limit and knows no bounds, yes. which is really kind of the different way of saying the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, so when you um, so you wrote the so you wrote the book, and um, but you also uh, started getting some uh, response to it from. There's a particular chapter in the book called "The Meaning of the Rent Veil." Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what the rent veil uh, has come to mean to you. Uh, yeah, that uh, we uh, after I wrote the book, I, I started uh, uh, gift.com and continued to write uh, other things there. And I I put uh, uh, meaning of the rent veil on there just kind of as a starter. And, and to my surprise, it, it became extraordinarily uh, popular. It, it just gets... Uh, hundreds and hundreds of views uh, every month. And I, I was, you know, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I mm-hmm. was expecting that response. But uh, I'm a big fan of uh, first century history. Uh, you know, I, I think it just enrich, enriches things so much. Uh, you know, you take Jesus and you make him a, like we normally do, a 21st century American. Mm-hmm. He's, pre- he's pretty amazing. But you make him a first century Jew, you put him in that context, and and he becomes uh, jaw dropping, uh, extraordinary. So I'm a very big fan of that. And uh, I've studied the the temple a lot. You know, the the, the Herod's temple in Jerusalem was the the center of the religious life. Uh, I've I've studied it, and I began to notice uh, things about it. It was like it painted a picture of what they thought of God, and uh, through through the law. And uh, also of what they thought of of each other, uh, you know. As you remember, Herod's temple was an extraordinary building. I mean, uh, Solomon's temple took seven years to build it. I think it took around seventy-five years. You know, solid limestone, well, twice as big. The, was, yeah, Herod's temple is one of the wonders of the ancient world. Yeah, it it's it just an extraordinary, you know, gold-plated walls, the, the tapestries, uh, you know, everything about it. But what I think it was a rabbi in that day said if you hadn't seen Herod's temple, you hadn't seen a beautiful building at all. <laughs> it was just that extraordinary. But if I could choose one thing to uh, use to describe what it said, I, I might choose the word uh, separation or, 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 or distinctions because it, it was just full of them. Um, like – you remember there was three courts. So, you know, there was the outer court, and that was the court of the, the Gentiles. And uh, if you were a Gentile, had the righteousness of a Gentile, you could you could go there. It was kind of like for the the, the tourist. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a place where the money changers would rip you off, and 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 all that. But then you got to the second court, and there was a, a balustrade a balustrade around it, 
and there there was actually this big sign and it was uh written in bold red letters and it said you know if you're a foreigner in other words if you're a gentile and you take one step into the second court you will be responsible for your own death uh, they would take you out and they'd stone you to uh, to death. They actually discovered the sign. Uh, it was still in te- intact and, 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 and they, they found it in Rome. Apparently when they sacked the Romans sacked the temple, someone took it home with them. <laughs> 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 and they found, found it. Uh, yeah. Hey, look at this uh, souvenir. Yes. Yeah, hey, honey, look what I got. Yeah. So, but um, so yeah, it, it, there is that huge distinction between, uh, between Jew and, and, and and Gentile, every distinction in the temple, uh, I think it was based on who you were and, and what you did, you know, who you, your, your lineage, and then did you keep Torah or not? And mm-hmm. so then you got into the second court, and what do you see there? You see more distinctions based on who you were and what you did. And, and the first court was the court of the women. And, you know, uh, women could go into their Torah-keeping uh, Jewish women but they couldn't go any farther than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the thought that um, that God liked men better. Of course, we've finally figured out that God likes women better, but um, I, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 but that was the thought. That was the thought in that day that you were more righteous because of who you were. If you, you know, if you were a man, you you were just simply closer to God or had a better place uh, with God. And so, beyond that, there was another distinction: the court of Israel. And and you you if you're a Torah keeping Jewish man, you could go there. And then there was another court beyond that. It was the court of the priesthood. And you know, again, a more exacting lineage, mm-hmm. not just the sin of, uh, of Abraham, uh, the tribe of uh, what was it, Levi. Uh, you're supposed to be. It was kind of, kind of convoluted by Jesus' day, but uh, that's what you were supposed to be. Again, a more exacting lineage. Who you were was was tighter. What you did was 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 the, the purity rituals and, and so forth were, were much stricter to to go in there to that that court of the priests. And then you got to the holiest of holies, and uh, you know that only one guy could go in there. Mm-hmm. You know the high priest, and he, he was supposed to be a descendant of, of Aaron. You know, an even stricter lineage. Again, by Jesus' day, that it had become political, but that's the way it was supposed to supposed to be. And uh, the the links that he went to, he could go in there. Uh, the, the the feast of atonement uh, was the only day he could go in there, and, and it took him like a week to prepare. Uh, he washed the day he went in. He washed himself like I think almost twenty times. Uh, all different sacrifices, you know, all this to to uh, to go in the the holiest of holies. So that there was that great distinction distinction between God and, and, and us. And then, and then after that, there's all these other distinctions uh, based on who we were, and who we are and what we, what we do. But, you know, of course, when Jesus died on the cross, that, that veil was torn. And, you know, what, what was that saying? You know, he was for one thing saying that there was a new measure of who we are. And, mm-hmm. and it was no longer who, it's no longer who we are, and no longer what we do, but it it became who Jesus is, and, and what He did for for us. In other words, all these finite measures of uh, of who we are uh, were fading away, and God was giving an infinite measure of of, of identity, uh, an infinite measure of who 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 we are, and it, and it was a gift. And so it, it not only tore that that veil, but uh, it, it it it's like it moved out from there, 
you know, it began to tear down these other distinctions because they couldn't hold mm-hmm. up either. You know, they couldn't hold up either. You know, if if a woman and a man have the same measure of righteousness, you know, how can we make that 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 distinction? How can we make the distinction between the priesthood and 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 and, and so forth? And the, the last big one on that day, of course, was the Jew Gentile thing. But right. you know, but even that was was crumbling. You know, Paul talked in Ephesians about the uh, God breaking down the dividing wall. And I believe that that was that wall between the, uh, the you know, the, the court of the Gentiles and the, the, the inner court of the, the temple that God had even broken that, that down. And um, I think it's still moving out from there, even in our day, you know, tearing down, tearing down d- d- distinctions. Uh, the biggest, of course, being the distinction between us and, and, and God. Well, you also um, have in your um, another popular article called "Satan's uh, Glasses." Did you yeah, talk that, about that one. Could you talk about that one a little bit? That's a that's a fun one. Um, uh, when I talk, uh, when I wrote "Satan's Glasses," I was thinking about perception uh, on how we perceive uh, ourselves, how we perceive others, and how we perceive our our our, our, our life. And I was thinking, you know, what what lens would the devil want us to wear when we were mm-hmm. we, when we were looking at ourselves, when we were looking at uh, our neighbor, when we were looking at our, our our life? And you might think it would be just just badness, right? Just evil. Mm-hmm. And we we get this idea that that's that's what the devil is all about. He's all about just being bad you know he just wants us to be bad you know hollywood version where a guy's being tempted and a, a little devil appears on one shoulder and a little angel on the other and right uh, the devil just wants him to do bad and the, the angel wants him to do good and that's that pervades our concept of of god and our conflicts with with, with god as, as well that god's really mad about us being bad you know mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's that, interesting you know because that wasn't your story at all no, no, I wasn't. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that that's why I maybe why I could see things a little bit uh, differently, and uh, you know, I I think the lens that say if there are Satan's glasses, that it's not evil. It's it's self. Self is the lens through which he wants us to to see our our, our whole world. You know, who who we are, who who God is, who who we are. You know, who our neighbor is, even you know what our our, our life is. And uh, when we look at, you know, at God through the lens of self, you know, we're, we're always, uh, self's always falling short. <laughs> you know, there's always that separation. There's always that, that, that uh, distinction. distinction. Uh, when we look at ourselves through uh, the lens of self, we're either going to be uh, a Pharisee or we're going to be a, a, a sinner, you know. Uh, like the great characters in the in, in the gospels, we're either going to be aren't I wonderful, you know? Like like remember the parable that that uh, Jesus told about the uh, the uh, the Pharisee and the uh, the tax collector. We're mm-hmm. going to be one of those two guys, <laughs> either yeah. the Pharisee. I thank thee, God, that I am not like I I I I over and over again. And is is very I tie. Well, reminds I, me of the uh, older brother in the parable of the prodigal son too. Yeah. That same two guys, same two guys. We're going to be one of those, one of those two guys in the, and that's a very good, very, uh, very good way of illustrating. We're going to be one of those two in our relationship with uh, God. We're going to be beating up ourselves or, or, or exalting ourselves or, or 
more likely both. Sometimes we'll do, be doing one or, 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 or doing the other. And uh, when we look at our neighbor through the eyes of self, we have you ever noticed uh, we're always so eager to judge someone else's sins? That's so yeah, much it's easier. <laughs> it's so much easier to see somebody else's than our own. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, we're always someone else's sins, and if someone else has our own sins, it's not so bad, right? It's it's always it's always the ones that we don't uh, we don't have. But uh, you know, always looking down on on uh, on others, and you know, I think when we wear the lens of self, when we look out uh, on the world. We want to see self. We want to see ourselves when we look at our neighbor. And if we don't see ourselves, uh, we get upset. You know, if someone has different political views or or someone has different sins, you know, or, or, or whatever, or maybe they may look different, uh, you know, dressed, whatever, whatever it may be. We self wants to see itself when it looks out in, 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 in the world. And, um, and I think there's a, the lens of self has a way of looking at life too. I think that this is a little more difficult to understand, and I'm still uh, still uh, wrestling with it. But we we look at life through the lens of what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we we judge life by good and bad. You know, th- think of the way that we we describe life. You know, when when life is bad, you know, we have our colorful metaphors to to describe it mm-hmm. or, or 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 we can you know we can, we can also pull out the t-shirt uh life is good you know mm-hmm. and uh we we judge life measure life and what life is by good and bad and 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 we think it's god's job to to make take life from bad to make it uh good we think god's in on that on that 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 lens you know it's that's that's what god's job is right and, and, and when he doesn't do it, we get mad at him, you know, right. <laughs> what, what you're messing things up. It's we're, we're supposed to, but, um, you know, I, uh, I think that God gives us another measure of, of, of again, of, of it all, you know, another lens to wear and that, that that's Christ. You know, and when you, when you look through that lens, when you participate in, in, in who he is, everything looks different. You know, just think how, um, you know, when a Pharisee looked at a tax collector, he saw one thing. But when Jesus would look at the same guy and see something totally different, you know, he would see someone that God loved or someone that was defined by how much God loved him. You know, and, how, totally, and, and they had some kind of essential value that he was able to see. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And when we look at that lens of, uh, of Christ, it's not just... You know, when we look at ourselves, it's not just, uh, hey, uh, uh, you know, God accepts me as I am. He, he does do that. But I see that my measure of worth is, is, is Christ, that I have an infinite measure of worth. My, my identity is tied to who he is. So I can't think of myself without thinking of, uh, of him, uh, of who he is and the sacrifice that he, he, he made for me. And I, it's the same with my neighbor. You know, who is my neighbor? Uh, you know, Jesus said to do some extraordinary things uh, with, you know, the Romans were around in that day. And, uh, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. You know, that was most likely, as you know, talking about our, our, the Roman backhand that you would get. And, and uh, uh, I've read that it it, it, it was, to, of course, inflict pain, you know, but it was also uh, to devalue 
maybe mm-hmm. even more. To humiliate. It was to humiliate because that was a, it was an honor shame society, and honor and shame were just really big things back then, even more so than than with us. But it was it was to to shame and uh, to turn the other cheek is was to refuse to to shame in return. Right, and, and that's the way of the world. You know, you you devalue me, I'm going to devalue you back. But you know, how could you do that? How could you not strike back if you didn't, if you weren't wearing the lens of Christ, <laughs> if you saw who that person was, that they mm-hmm. had infinite value, you know, they and also that you had infinite value that can't be taken away. But you know, in other words, you you see Christ when you're looking at uh, at them, and so how could you strike him? <laughs> how could you do that to uh, to him? It's it's, it's entirely well, that, yeah. That's one thing that changed whenever I came to this viewpoint. I started seeing that every single person is my eternal brother and sister, a being of infinite value and worth. And even if they're exactly. not expressing that right now, they will uh, one day. Yeah. And so uh, I'm in no mood to harm them or to or to judge them. Exactly. Exactly. It frees you to love. It really does. Um, yeah, and it helped me to see that people are not the behaviors or the ideas that they happen to be expressing at the moment. Exactly. That there's exactly. a deeper, a deeper sort of sacred value and worth in each person. And and also I, I came to I think an understanding that you did too, in that salvation is is not something that humans achieve with God, but something that God achieves with humans. Right. And so that that even even the faith that we have is more or less an awakening, an awakening that is granted by God to us at a certain point so that it all becomes grace. Could you exactly. say something about that? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, salvation. You know, uh, I've come to the conclusion that salvation is 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 not like you said. It's not something that we achieve, but it's something that that is is revealed. Um, you know, I think that infinite things are are simply so. That, that's that's <laughs> that's just a short sentence, but uh, but uh, I'm I'm still wrapping my head around that. Infinite things are simply so. God is. It's like His name. I I, I am. You don't make Him so. You you don't make Him not so. And I think that salvation is something that's 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 infinite. Uh, it another way of saying it, it, it it's the infinite that defines the finite with God. It's not the other way uh, around. And so, um, I think that uh, you know it's it's like we're saved, but we just some people just don't know it. Uh, we can't change who God is, uh, so we can't change our, our our salvation. We can't change something that is that is that is that is infinite. Uh, I hope that makes I hope that makes uh, sense. Well, you it it ties into me with this idea that that God's presence is not something. Uh, that you achieve, but it's something that you perceive. Perceive, it, it's yes. it's there. It's just a matter of perception, and and when you're trying to achieve it, it clouds your ability to perceive that it's already there. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, people talk about the the judgment day. You know, what's going to happen then? And it, uh, I, yeah, it's hard. It's I think you know, in the scriptures, it's it's kind of shrouded in pop apocalyptic language and imagery that, that, you know, is, is difficult to, to understand. Um, but, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, I've, I've wondered about that, that, that I wonder if that's more of a, uh, an unveiling than anything else. Um, 
you know, it, it does talk about at, at the end and at the judgment, it talks about concepts like uh, shame and, and, and honor. And uh, I think one of the most, for me, when I see God face to face, one of the greatest honors would be able to look at God and say, I know you, you know, you're someone, I know you, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know he knows us, of course. Yeah. And that's, that's the greatest, you know, he knows us, but to see stand before someone, you know, uh, that's, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I get goosebumps just <laughs> thinking about being able to, to have, and during a course of a lifetime to have seen the infinite. And when you stand before the infinite to, to, to have, I I know this, you know, I know this fellow, you know, he, I, I've known the presence and I, I've known the loss of self and, and, and all the things uh, that, that go along with getting to, uh, uh, to know, to know God. And I, I can't imagine any greater honor than that. But on the other hand, you know, suppose you stood before God and, and he's, he's a stranger, you know, you have no concept of the, the, the infinite, um, the, the presence and, and, and things that we, we, we talk about, uh, I, you know, that I can't imagine any greater pain, uh, than that. Um, it's like the wood, hay and stubble, uh, illustration that, that mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 you know, that all you, all that you had was self and, and self, self is lost. I don't think self can get into heaven. Uh, or the well, flesh, I, the, but, I, well, the idea that, that helped to me was when I began to realize that the fire of God, that God is a consuming fire, right. but just like the burning bush burned but was not consumed, that what the fire of God ultimately does is consume everything that's not good and loving and and, and worthy and holy. Right. And so that that whatever, however God's judgments happen, you know, after this life, the their their purpose is ultimately purifying. Right. To, to to remove from us in some way that which we could not remove from ourselves in this journey through mm-hmm. life and how how God does that and how God achieves that I don't I don't know yeah but that yeah. the but that if God is love then God's fire is an expression of love and that exactly. God would let us God would not let us ever be per, be in a state of permanent delusion mm-hmm. that we might for a period of time not know who God is, but not eternally, that there, that, that finally there would be that knowing mm-hmm. of not only who God is, but who we are. And, yeah. then once that, and then once that happens, there's no difficulty for us to be in union um, and reconciled with each other. That's why I think the parable of the prodigal son is so beautiful. Absolutely. It's that moment, yeah. of, it's that moment of recognition that the mm-hmm. son has with the father as he returns home. Ironically, then, it's the son that was kind of like you that was, that felt like he was earning his righteousness in some way that then couldn't see the father anymore. Yeah, exactly. After that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely the old, the older son. (laughs) And so (laughs) what you, you know, the subtitle of your book is interesting, learning to live in grace. So then once you had this uh, understanding then that grace is really everything, then that really turned around your way of living and doing ministry and, could you say something about that? I don't know. It, you, 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 I think the biggest change, if I could describe it in, in, in my ministry, uh, was for years I would tell people what to do 
you know, like, like what I was doing, you know, be like mm-hmm. me, you know, <laughs> be like me, pray more, right. you know, you can get there. You know, it's, it's funny what we preachers do. We, we tell people to do things that we don't, you know, we can't do ourselves. <laughs> you can get there, you know, just pray yeah. more, uh, be a better person. All, all the, all the things I, I was telling them what to do and what to do. But I think over the years that, that entirely changed where I don't hardly even do that anymore. What I do is I tell people who they are. That that's the big focus where it, where it's all come to in in my ministry and at Thorn Crown Chapel. I tell them who they who they are. I try to help them put on that lens of of Christ and say, "This is who you are. This is who God is. This is who your neighbor is too." And uh, well, that, I, and that would be in a way that sounds easier to do, but in a certain way, it might be a little harder for people to understand themselves as eternally loved and accepted when they when they're thinking no no i have to earn this at some at some level in a way you're sort of preaching to yourself oh yeah yeah isn't that what preachers do (laughs) 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 but uh yeah it um it's it's amazing uh how uh, the simple message of of just infinite love and, and infinite grace uh, impacts people, and, and I get to see it at the chapel. Not everybody, you know. Some people, some people don't, you know, don't hear it at all. But but yet others come in and they just they just weep and, and they cry, and um, you know they 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 come in there expecting to get you know hit upside the head and they get a hug instead. And so to, for some, that's a a really new experience, and it's very. Mm-hmm. Very profound and very, very, very powerful. Um, well, you do have you do have services uh, that are there each Sunday morning, but you also just really just let it be a place where people can come and meditate and 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 try to hear God and be with God to the best of their understanding. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, one of the greatest uh, compliments we ever got was from a an architect. Uh, he came in and he said, you know what this place is? He said, this is a, this is a thin place. You ever heard that expression before? I think you told me that one time. And, and apparently what it means, it's a Celtic Christian term. And he said, it's a place where the line between heaven and earth is, is, is thin. And uh, for some reason that just uh, stuck with me uh, a lot over the years. And I pondered and it, it does seem to be that, but I thought, why, you know, it, and I finally concluded it's not because this is a special place. It, it, Thorn Crown's message is not, hey, look at me. I'm special. I'm a special place. I'm closer to God or something like that. That's not its its message. Its message is, you know, you're the special place. You, your life is is the thin place. And I think Thorn Crown is a place where it's it's just a little easier to perceive those things that are the, that are so. I think that's what thorn crown has become to me it's a place of seeing a place of uh, perception it's a place of becoming conscious of 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 the infinite and it, it does well, seem what, to- one of the things one of the things that's interesting is that is that it's it's as much a place as you look at as you look out yes yeah and that that's interesting too because it's so beautiful that you look you're looking at it and all of the detail but then there's so much, so many windows, and there's so much to look at in the woods around, and the beauty around you that you're looking out of it a lot too. Yeah, and it just it have, just puts you in a really wonderful space. Yeah, I'm gonna have to have you come and preach there. 
one day. I think you'd love it. Uh, Faye Jones used the uh, the term operative opposites. It, it, operative it a, opposites. Operative operative opposites uh, to describe his his philosophy. And what it meant is that you. With his buildings, you walk into a space and you encounter the opposite of what you're, what you think you should in, in, encounter there. Uh, like in, in a normal church building, you, you you walk in and it's com- completely enclosed. Uh, it it you know if there are windows, a lot of times they're stained glass, so you can't really uh, see out. Right. And it's like you know you're retreating from an unholy world into a sacred space and we're retreating into this and we're going to meet with God here and then we're right. going to go back out into the unholy uh, world. But you come into Thorn Crown and it's, it's all glass. It's like the distinction between the outside and inside, which is Faye Jones architecture, isn't, isn't there. It's, it's not supposed to be there. The two are supposed to be one. It's, it's the opposite of what you're expecting in a, in a sacred uh, space. And it conveys the message, we hope, that it's all a temple, the whole thing. You know, all you have to do is go out and, 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 and to participate. In other words, it's tearing down those distinctions like that were in Herod's uh, temple. That's what we hope. Well, yeah, doing. it's the, uh, it, in a way, it's an architectural expression of the rent veil. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's what uh, Faye had in mind in, in, in his own way. And uh, that's what we have in mind, that it's an expression of the the rent veil and it's people uh, it, it really does have a profound uh, effect on people. They, 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 sometimes they can't express it. They just come to me and they say, well, I, I feel something here. They can't put it into words. Sometimes they call it God. Uh, we even had one little kid come in. This was my favorite ever. He little kid with his mom, hold his mom's hand. He looks up his, at his mom and he goes, mama, is this heaven? And, uh, she she uh, assured him that it, that it wasn't, but you know I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> 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 I don't think those distinctions are are, are are a big thing with God, you know, heaven and earth and all that. I think it's all blended together. But uh, well, maybe so I, maybe what we could do is instead of me preaching a sermon, maybe we could have a discussion uh, yeah, together, kind of yeah, kind of like we're doing, uh, kind of like what we're doing uh, right now. Well. Uh, We've been talking for about an hour now, and I think we can can kind of start to wrap things up, although I'd like to have some more conversations with you. Uh, there's some other things that I think I, uh, I'd like to visit with you about some more of the podcast. But for right now, is there just anything more that you'd like to say about how people can get in touch with you or Thorn Crown Chapel, your website, any kind of uh, any kind of programs or things that are going on at the chapel or when it's open or where exactly you're located for people who don't know where Eureka Springs, Arkansas is? Well, yeah, Eureka Springs, Arkansas, it's in Northwest uh, Arkansas. You, of course, GPS, you can find it. You can punch in Thorn Crown Chapel, your GPS, and it'll it'll uh, it'll uh, take you there. We've got three websites. We've got thorncrown.com, which is uh, general information uh, about the chapel. If you want some teaching, some of the things that we're talking about today, go to either God is a Gift Dot com and we've also got a collection of writers at uh, that have contributed at uh, thorncrownjournal.com uh, dot com and you can you can reach us through through any of these. Okay, and there's a you're just about you're just about an 
if you were in like Northwest Arkansas from, from Bentonville, how, how long a drive was it? Is it from the Bentonville, let's say to up to Thorn Crown? It's about an hour. Yeah. An hour, give or take. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty accessible place to get to in a, in a, in a, a beautiful, a beautiful retreat. And, and it's just open. It's basically open through the week for people to come in and just sit and sit there. Right. Uh, yes. Like Monday through, is it, what are the, what are the weekday hours? Well, it, uh, most weekdays we're open nine to five. Uh, occasionally we have weddings, uh, later in the day, but, uh, you know, if you come, uh, you know, on a weekend, you might want to come before three, but, um, but most okay. hours we're open. It, okay. it varies a lot. It varies a lot. <laughs> and then when is the service on Sunday? We have two sun- Sunday services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Okay. Well, Doug Reed, it has been a real pleasure to to meet you and to get to know you on this journey. And uh, I want to recommend again your book. You can get it through Amazon.com or you can get it on the Amazon Kindle too. It's available that way too. And it's God is a Gift, Learning to Live in Grace. And uh, I just think you're such a sincere what strikes me about it is that you know, it's such an unusual story, and it, it was almost like your sincerity and your righteousness was what was your attempt there was what was sort of frustrating you from making the connection with God that you were so desperately yeah. seeking to make, and then how yeah. that all, I just think that's that's also profound. So thank you for uh, persevering through all of this, and thank you for sharing your ministry and your and your thoughts with us, and we will certainly talk again, okay? Okay, thank you so much. All right, talk to you later. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.